Good morning. Many of you know that I've lived most of my adult life in Pennsylvania. I'd like to start this morning by telling you about a place there. It's called Walnut Hill. You won't find it on a map because nobody lives there. It's only six acres. And it's a tiny corner of a huge dairy farm. And it is the remnant of a homestead that dates back to the early to mid-1800s. It's a beautiful, calm place. There's a small stream that runs on one side of it. And there's some piles of stone that are the remnants of the stone foundations of a farmhouse and a spring house and a barn. The crowning portion of the property, of course, is a small rise, a small hill, which is the home for about 40 walnut trees, just massive trees. There's also a picnic table there. I knew the owner of the farm, and I would go there often. Sometimes I would have my lunch. Sometimes I would just go for a walk. When I had a dog, I would take her and let her run the fields. I would go there when I was happy, and I would go there when I was sad. And I would go there when I had troubles and I needed a place to think. I felt connected when I was there. I felt calm there. It was a spiritual place. And I've come to realize over the years that, for many years, Walnut Hill was my church. It was the only church I went to. One day I was sitting there enjoying my lunch, and I began to wonder about the man who planted all those walnut trees. Subsistence farming back in the 1800s was a very hard life. You worked from dawn to dusk. You never had enough time. You never had enough money. And you were always one drought or one flood away from financial ruin. Yet someone looked at this piece of land and saw this slight hill and dreamed about a future where instead of scrub and pasture, there would be a stand of mighty trees. I wondered about this man and his dream. Because he sacrificed time and money, which he probably didn't have, to make his dream come true even though he knew he would never profit from it. It takes walnut trees 30 to 40 years to come to maturity. And by the time he was financially able to plant those trees, he was probably middle-aged. He didn't have another 30 or 40 years in his life. But he planted them anyway. Not only that was he not going to profit, but he had to trust that his dream would live on, that after he was gone, others would see his dream and share in it. And they would see that it was important enough so that they would become keepers of his dream, making their own sacrifice to keep his trees alive. It was a simple dream, a stand of walnut trees. But he sacrificed and worked to see the dream come true, and when he was gone, his sons became keepers of the dream. And they too sacrificed. And generations passed. And many years later the farm was sold. And sold again. And each new owner instinctively saw and felt the worth of this dream. And they too became keepers of the original dream. 
The current owner knows that those trees are now worth a lot more as lumber than they are for raising, raising uh, walnuts. But he keeps the fence in repair and he keeps the cows out and he mows and trims the area. He keeps it nice. He's the one that put the picnic table there. He told me that when he walks that section of the farm, he can almost hear the laughter of the children that were born and raised on that tiny little piece of land. He sees the trees as an enduring monument to the hard work and sacrifice of the people who lived there so many years ago. The tiny farm of the 1800s has now grown to be over a thousand acres, and the current owner sees himself as a keeper of the dream. Over 60 years ago, the dream began that was to become All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church. In 1948, a small group of people met at a hotel in Shreveport. And these people had a dream that they could form a church where free thought was not only accepted, but encouraged. This was not a small dream. We're talking about the Deep South in the early 1950s. A time where you were free to believe whatever your parents told you to believe. which was the same thing that their parents told them to believe. Back then, churches had the answers, as long as you asked the right questions. You could ask when, you could ask how, you could ask who. The minister of your church would be glad to help you with those. But you could not ask why. You could not ask what if. And if you dared to ask these questions, you were told that you have to take some things on faith. You were told you had to believe. And you were often told that some things are just beyond our understanding. And there certainly are things that are beyond our understanding. But the quest for answers shouldn't stop because somebody raises a Bible in their hand. The founders of this church dreamed of a place where they could be different. They dreamed of a congregation that facilitated the spiritual quest of its members. They dreamed of a church that had an open door and not a closed mind. They dreamed of a church that would educate their children, not indoctrinate them. They dreamed of a church where people of different ideologies, beliefs, lifestyles, and backgrounds could come together and find and celebrate the good things that they had in common. They dreamed of a church founded on principles, not doctrine. And through the years, this congregation went through growing pains. They had good times and bad times. But there's always been a core group of people willing to be keepers of those dreams. People who believe that what happens here is important, and important enough to sacrifice, to keep the dream alive and well and moving forward. And now it is our turn. We are the current keepers of the dream. It is our job not only to believe in this church and the principles that bind us together, but it is our turn to make the sacrifice to keep this dream alive. One of the principles that unites this congregation is the concept of fairness. 
uh, fairness and social justice, equity in the way we treat each other. And there's two areas of our church community where we have to work on this idea of fairness in this pledge drive. The first area is in compensation for the employees of this church. For too long now, some people have been working full-time hours and receiving only part-time pay. We cannot talk about fairness and equity in our lives and in our principles without living those principles here in our congregation. We are not a part-time church. Our spiritual journeys don't take place every other Sunday. Our spirituality doesn't take off two months in the summer, and we should not be running a full-time church with part-time wages. A while back, I attended a board meeting, and the subject of employee compensation came up, and it was, it was a very good discussion. At one point, one suggestion was made that we could reduce costs by cutting the hours of one of the employees, filling in the void with volunteer workers. Now, also attending that meeting was another employee of the church. When she heard the suggestion, she told the board that if it came to that, she would volunteer to give up part of her salary to avoid cutting the other employee's salary. I was amazed. Here we had somebody who was already being underpaid saying, pay me less so you can keep this other person at the same rate. Why are our employees making sacrifices to operate our church? It should be the other way around. We should be making small sacrifices as a group to help them. The second area we have to address in this pledge drive is fairness in how we as individuals financially support the church. Here's a fact for you. Last year, 10% of the pledges accounted for 50% of the pledge income. Now, 10% is nine pledges. Nine pledges accounted for over 50% of our pledge income last year. The other 90% of us have got to start doing more to financially support this church. We cannot continue to put half of the entire financial burden on the same nine people year after year after year. That's not fair. That's not equitable. And we should not accept that situation in our church. Now, our pledge goal this year is $180,000. In order to reach our goal, we need a minimum increase of 26% across the board. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but let's break it down a little bit. Half of us, half of the pledges in this church are $900 or less. $900 a year or less. Now, if everybody who pledges $900 a year or less would add $5 a week to their pledge, that would come to an additional $260, and that would be 26%, just a little bit better. $5 a week is all it's going to take if your pledge is already $900 or less. If you pledge $2,000 a year, that 
is only $10 a week. We can do this. This is not $10 a week, $5 a week. These are not impossible sums. These are not huge sacrifices. This church is worth it. This church is worth these sacrifices. This is not the time for small dreams. $180,000 is not a small dream. But it is an achievable goal. And if we achieve this goal, we'll be able to do a few things. We'll be able to achieve fairness in compensation for our employees without reducing services. We'll be able to maintain the building and maintain spiritual continuity. And importantly, we'll be able to do something we haven't been able to do a lot of up till now. We'll take one step closer to being an outwardly reaching church. A church that not only tries to improve the lives of its members, but tries to improve the lives of all people in the community. So far, almost all the money we raise goes towards the maintenance of this church, paying our bills. There's not much left over. We're spending all our money and all our talents inward. We need to take care of all those things, but we need to go further. We need to spread the word. We can be true keepers of the dream. We can make this church be anything we want it to be. We can achieve any goal we want to achieve. But we can't do it by sitting on our wallets. Just like the farmer who planted those trees in Pennsylvania, we have to work hard to maintain what we already have. And we have to sacrifice further for the unknown future. The children we educate in this church are the all souls version of those walnut trees. If they are to grow and thrive in the future, we have to sacrifice now. We may not be here to see the fruits of that sacrifice. But we need to do it because it's right. It's a part of keeping the dream that is this church. I like the idea that this church is held together by affirmations and covenants. Would you join me now? Would you please stand as you're able and repeat after me the following affirmations? The first one is, this is my church. Okay, now say it loud enough so the Methodists can hear you. This is my church. My church is important to me. Religious education for our children is important to me. It is my responsibility to support this church financially. The dream of this church is my dream. I will be a keeper of the dream. This is my church. This is my church. One for the Episcopalians. This is my church. Thank you. This is your church. Please sit. This is your church. You should walk through the doors with your head held high and a gleam in your eye, just as if you own the place, because you do. If you're a member here, you do 
in essence, own the church. This is your church, and as one of the owners, you have the responsibility to contribute to the financial well-being of the congregation. The members of this year's pledge committee are Susan Bettinger, Claudia Harris, Jared Davis, Ron Thurston, Sarah Boswell, and Dexter Smith. It's kind of telling that uh, four of the members of the pledge committee are also on the uh, board of directors. They take this very seriously, and they're working very hard. After this service, uh, a few of them will be out in the, in the lobby there. We have pledge envelopes for you. If you haven't gotten one on your way in, please pick one up on your way out, like they say and said on TV. Don't leave home without it. Uh, it is important that you return these pledge forms by December 1st, because what happens is we're going to try to announce the results of the pledge drive on the 6th, and the Finance Committee has to have their budget for 2010 by the 13th. So we need a little time there. Please be generous, and please be on time. I think one of the reasons why I love this church so much is that when I sit here and I look out this window, I get the same peaceful feeling that I used to get sitting at that picnic table on Walnut Hill. I feel connected. I feel calm. I feel that I am a part of something that is bigger than I am, bigger than all of us together. There's one difference, though. When I sit here with you, I'm not alone. This is my church. Thank you.